0: Welcome to the King's Anywhere podcast. Inspirational teaching, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whenever you're ready. Music is really powerful. And um, I want to just try something. I don't know if this is going to work, so go with it. Please help me. But I'm going to say a film, and I'd like you to hum or wah or in some form make music that would indicate the soundtrack of the main song in that film. Okay? Is that reasonably clear? Yeah, we've got Rach, we'll be good. So, okay. If I were to say to you, The Godfather, what music would come to mind? (laughs) Surprisingly good. Jaws. Lord of the Rings. (laughs) There we go. Star Wars. Rocky. (laughs) Brilliant. Soundtracks, we just remember them, don't we? What if your life? had a soundtrack. What if you had to write down? I had to go at this a few weeks, was preparing this a week or so ago. What songs would I put? I was going to give you a list and when I was hitting about 100, I thought this is going to take too long. But So many songs come to mind that you think of at certain points in your life. So for me, songs like, and I'll just give you headlines, things like Strawberry Fields Forever, Amazing Grace, Going Underground, Message to Rudy, I Want to Serve the Purpose of God in My Generation, Live Forever, We Will Dance, In Christ Alone, Fool's Gold, There's a whole mixture of songs that just indicate, that's a bit of my life. And when I think of that song, I'm suddenly there. It just reminds me of a place, a feeling, a place that I've been in before. The Psalms are a soundtrack for a life. And I, I found those Psalms, the Psalms, the book of Psalms, a powerful place to get the soundtrack for my life. They've formed part of the background music to which I live. They've helped me to find words to rejoice and to express pain. They've helped me to pray and to ask questions. They've helped me to express frustration and delight. They're a songbook. They are the songbook of the Bible. Some people say that true worship songs are only songs that we sing to God. It's an interesting thought if only someone had told God that when he inspired the Psalms because he doesn't seem to go along with that one. Because in the Psalms, the songbook of the Bible that's directed by God, he seems to include songs. Of course there are Psalms in there that are all just directed directly to God. But there are songs that are sung about his work in his people. There are songs about that we sing to one another. There are songs where we sing to ourselves and say, come on, my soul, remember how good God has been to you. There are songs that express our frustration, our pain and our questions. You know why? Because worship is the whole of life. And the songs of worship that form the soundtrack for our life reflect that Praise and worship, as Rach said at the beginning, is a vital part of our lives as disciples of Jesus. It helps us to step into a place where we see the greatness of God and then life begins to take a new perspective. Today we're beginning a series called A Soundtrack for a Life and over the next few weeks we're going to focus on one of those songs, Psalm 23. This is Series one of what could be a two or three series set of series where we're going to jump into different psalms at different points and think about the soundtrack, a soundtrack for a life. The psalms help us to know who God is and what he does. They help us to express ourselves to him in all seasons of life. They are medicine for the soul. And so as we begin this morning, let's read Psalm 23. You could probably, many of you recite this without even looking at your bible couldn't you but because there are so many versions of the bible out there at the moment we're going to just i'll just read it to you i'm reading from i love the esv and so i'm going to be reading to you from the esv there are other good versions out there the lord is my shepherd i shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside still waters he restores my soul He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What does this psalm tell us about God? Let me give you a list of things. If you were to read that psalm, maybe I'd encourage you to do this this afternoon or this evening. Grab a notebook, read the psalm, and say, what does this psalm tell me about God? Here's the things I've listed. This psalm tells me that that God is Lord, God cares, God leads, God provides, God gives us rest. God refreshes, God restores, God protects, God walks with us through grief and death, God deals with our fears, God is with us, God comforts us, God feeds us, God puts us with others, God anoints us, God causes us to live lives that overflow, God marks our lives with his goodness and mercy, God is consistent, God lets us dwell in his oikos, his household forever. Wow. Wow, does that song go round in your head? Is that the song that's stuck in your head of who God is like? When we're rooted in who God is, the fruit is good. We're gonna begin this powerful psalm by breaking it right down sentence by sentence. And so today we're only gonna deal with the opening sentence. The whole talk today is on one sentence and it's this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's all we're going to look at today. Or as the NIV puts it, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Or as the New Living Translation puts it, the Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. Dallas Willard wrote, he said, The Lord is my shepherd is a sentiment carved on a tombstone more often than written in the reality of our lives. It's a very nice phrase to put on a tombstone, but how do we live with the Lord as our shepherd? Let's break that phrase down even further. The Lord. That's how the psalm begins. The Lord. From the first note of this song, the person who wrote the psalm, David, wants us to be focused on the fact that God is the Lord. The teaching of the Bible is one of monotheism. We believe in one God. The book of Deuteronomy puts it like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. However, the culture that that was written into, the Hebrew people were monotheists like we are as followers of Jesus, but they were written into a polytheistic culture. What that means is they were written to a culture where people believed in many gods, idols. And so this, they were a deeply spiritual people. And I would suggest that we live in a culture that is affected by many gods materialism, pride, possessions, sex, money, pleasure. They're all gods, they're all idols. And we get to worship one God, the Lord. So in their culture, it would be if you walk down to get, let's say you went to get some water from the river, you might walk through a field. And in that field it was likely to have a shrine because it would be growing crops and they would think well you need to worship Baal because he'll look after the crops so you do a little bit of worship to Baal. Then you might pass a tree and they believe that certain spirits lived in certain trees and you didn't want to upset them so you do a little bit of worship to the tree. And then you get to the river and they very often believed that the river was dominated by a goddess and she could either dry up the river or flood the plains and so you needed to keep her on board because your crops depended on her so you do a bit of worship to the goddess of the river and then there would be gods of politics and there would be gods of family and there would be gods of war and it was exhausting trying to keep them all happy because they all had a different value system and you spent your whole life trying to live under this value system and then live under this value system and i've got to find this value system because i've got to keep all these idols and what happens is when you live under an idol centered culture you have a fractured life so many different value systems trying to be lived out and To be honest, that's why a lot of people struggle to live for Jesus, because they're trying to live for Jesus and a few idols. And they're pulled in all kinds of directions, and the Bible says, the Lord. And when we make Jesus Lord, it brings life together. I love the way that Deuteronomy, when it's just said about loving this one God, it says, these commandments I give you are to be impressed on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, so there's not a different God at home. When you walk along the road, so there's not a different God when you're out and about. When you lie down and when you get up. In other words, at every point of life, bring the Lord into it because that brings life together. Jesus is Lord He's working at home, is working when we're out and about, he's working when we're resting, when we're working. He is always the Lord. There is no part of our lives where God is absent. So when we gave our life to Jesus, we did not give our Bible reading, prayer time and church attendance to Jesus and then live the rest of the life under some other idol. My career is my idol. This person is my idol. My family is my idol. Pleasure is my idol. And I try and live under all those idols, and then every now and then Jesus is Lord. That's not Christianity. Christianity is the Lord is Lord of all. So, how I deal in my marriage, how I am at work, how I deal with friends, my relationship with possessions my relationship with every aspect of life is impacted by the Lord, my shepherd. Jesus puts it like this. You can't serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other or you'll be devoted to one and hate the other. You can't serve God and money. Wow. When we take a well known psalm and we break it down word by word, we start to see what it's actually saying. The Lord is my. I don't belong to myself. I've been bought by a price, the precious blood of Jesus, and He owns me. I am not Lord, He is Lord. Let this song get stuck in your head. Let this song play again and again. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord. The Lord is what? The Lord is my shepherd. Let me read some scriptures that speak about God being a shepherd to us. Isaiah 40, verse 11. He, speaking of God, tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. Do you need to be gently led by the good shepherd? Or oh, Ezekiel 34 says, as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among the sheep so I have that I have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all places that they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. Do you need rescuing by God? Well, he's your shepherd. That same chapter goes on to say, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost and bring them back, those who have strayed. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. Do you feel injured? Do you need binding up? Well, the Lord is our shepherd. See, he isn't a Lord who's a tyrant. It's not the Lord is my tyrant, the Lord is my bully, the Lord is my dictator. No, no, no. The Lord is my shepherd. It's like this great power picture, and then a shepherd. Wow. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, John 10. John 10 goes on to say, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. The Lord, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise, ruler of all, is your shepherd. He tends and cares for his flock. He carries close to his heart and gently leads. He seeks us when we stray and brings us back to the flock. He rescues us on our darkest days and gives us security and rest. He binds up the injured, strengthens the weak, lays down his life for all of us, speaks to us, we get to hear and obey. The hymn says, the God of love my shepherd is, and he that doth me feed, while he is mine and I am his, what else can I need? All that we need is in him. The relationships we need, the provision we need, the power we need, the encouragement we need. He brings them along. He uses other people. It's not just me and Jesus and everyone else can get lost. That's, see, He uses the picture of a sheep because you never see a shepherd leading a sheep. He brings a sheep back to the flock. The Lord our Shepherd leads us. We're not our own; we're His, and He leads us. He walks with us. He never leads us, leaves us, and He's always good. When David the shepherd boy slew Goliath, and David wrote Psalm twenty-three, he had five stones, and he only used one. You read it in. Um, 1 Samuel 17, I think it is, he he collects five stones. He only throws one. The shepherd would use a sling and a stone occasionally to defend the flock against an attacking predator, maybe a lion, a mountain lion, or a bear. He would fire a stone at the predator. But more often, the shepherd would use the stone as a warning for the sheep. As a sheep began to wander away from the flock, the shepherd would fire a stone above its head and hit a bush or something in front of it to make the sheep turn back and come to the flock. And sometimes that's what our good shepherd does. When we begin to wander away from God, when we begin to make poor choices, when we begin to make ourselves Lord or something else Lord, you will find that if you really are one of his sheep, the good shepherd will fire a warning shot just above your head that just lands in front of you. That maybe it's his word. Maybe it's a conversation with another person. Maybe it's a conviction of the Holy Spirit. And if we ignore it, we just drift further and further from God. But in his kindness, the good shepherd fires those little warning shots to draw us back. And sometimes we've got to do that as shepherds in God's church. Not in an overbearing way, but we need to say sometimes that God's word says this. This is what God's word says about that. So This is how we need to live, not to wander away. We need to draw people back to the importance and big issues of following Jesus. Our world would seek to grab our attention and lead us off course. I love the picture in Pilgrim's Progress. I've been looking at Pilgrim's Progress again this week and... There's a point when Pilgrim goes through the wicker gate and he becomes Christian and he, 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 his burden, he's beginning to deal with his burden, he's beginning to follow Jesus and he says to the person who's speaking to him as he's going through the gate, what now? And he says there's a narrow path and you can follow the narrow path. You'll know it's the narrow path and it's the right path because it's narrow and it's straight. And Pilgrim says, well, does that mean I won't get confused again? And he says, oh, no, no, no. The broad path is broad and winding and it intersects with the narrow path again and again and again to try to take you off the narrow path and onto a broader way that leads to destruction. And we all find that, don't we? We're walking this narrow path with Jesus. We're walking in fellowship with his people. We're committed to his mission. We're loving his word. We're filled with his spirit. And then this broad path seems to come across and seek to take us off into, oh, I just want this pleasure. Oh, I just want these things. And it's not that pleasure and things are wrong. It's when they're drawing us away from God's word or away from God's people or away from God's mission or if they're in contradiction to God's word. God will never, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. God will never prophetically tell you to do something that is opposite to his word. Let me be crystal clear with that. An angel from wherever might appear in your living room and tell you to rob a bank. It isn't God. no experience, no vision, no supposed prophetic word that takes you away from the narrow path of being filled with the Spirit, fellowshipping with God's people, committed to God's word, and committed to God's mission, anything that takes you away from that is not from God. They're they're the tests. And that is sometimes a little warning shot, the stone that the shepherd has to throw ahead head and say, whoa, 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 God told you to do what? Well, how does that line up with scripture? Well, it doesn't line up with scripture, but I really sensed in my heart that's what God said. Well, let me be clear, he didn't. Yes. If it doesn't line up with scripture, it isn't God. You matter to God. So much that the good shepherd would die and rise again so that you can be united with him in his death and in his resurrection. Jesus did not die on the cross so that you wouldn't have to die. Jesus died on the cross so that you could be united with him in his death and in his resurrection. You could die to one way of living and become alive to another. That's what the good shepherd does. We're his sheep. We get to hear his voice and we get to follow and finally I shall not want the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want we sometimes read that and we think it it slips past us sometimes I shall not want I have everything I need really you have everything you need I shall not want what does it mean I found the best commentary on, you might want to write this down, If you've got an iPad or a phone, I want to recommend a commentary to you. The best commentary I have ever read on the Bible is the Bible. So if you want a really good commentary on the Bible, just put the Bible. And read the Bible, because as you read it, what you'll find is it makes sense of the more difficult bits of the Bible. So what does the Bible say that might help us with, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want"? Let me read some scriptures to you. Jesus speaking in Matthew 6. Therefore don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Interesting. What else does the Bible say that might help us with this phrase? Or Paul writes in Philippians these words. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Wow, so you can be in want and not in need. Interesting. Interesting. Philippians 4.19 says, My God will meet all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And then Corinthians 2 Corinthians nine eight says, God is able to bless you abundantly. So that at all things and in all times, you'll have all that you need and you may abound in every good work. But then the psalmist says in Psalm 34, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart so what do you want as the soundtrack for many lives a few years ago as one great poet put it tell me what you want what you really really want (laughs) what do you want when Jesus sees Andrew and his friend beginning to follow him those first potential disciples, Jesus stops, John the Baptist says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And these two disciples, potential disciples, begun to follow Jesus. And Jesus says to them, what do you want? Not what do you want me to do? What do you want? And they don't really know how to answer because what they want is him. And they say, um, where are you staying? And he says, why don't you come along? You can have some time with me. Well, that's actually what we wanted. If Jesus, if we see Jesus as Lord and we're hearing his voice and following the Good Shepherd, if we're delighting in Him and in His Word and in His ways, then our desires begin to change. Have you noticed that? We begin to be formed by Him. And what we want, what we really want, is Him, is His glory, is His will, is His kingdom. We they become increasingly the priority of our lives. And as that happens, then we begin to trust the good shepherd to give us what we need. See, the question is, do we trust the good shepherd enough to be able to say, God, you know what I need. Would you please give me that? Because when we reach that point, we can have this song buzzing around in our head. All I have needed, your hand is provided. Great is your faithfulness, Lord, unto me. And some of you who followed Jesus for a while are smiling and nodding at me. Because you followed Jesus long enough to know that you've been thankful that God said no to some of your requests. Have you followed Jesus long enough to be thankful for when he said no? God, I want this. I want this. No. Okay, well, you're the Lord, but I think I need it. No. Okay, I'll trust you. And then you look back. Oh, thank God you said no. I didn't know what you knew. Of course you didn't, because you're not the Lord. So we're nearly there. We're nearly finished. Delighting in him begins to shape our desires. Who you delight in shapes what you desire. Jesus is Lord. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. The question is, do we trust him with those desires? He's our good shepherd. Just think about who we're asking each other to trust now. Romans 8 32. He who did not spare his own son, but graciously gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? We're not dealing with a God, a Lord who is our shepherd, who is stingy. He gave his son. He couldn't give more. God has been so generous to us already. We can trust him with our needs. But I've found that very often God meets our needs through other people. Have you found that? C.S. Lewis has this incredible illustration of someone becoming a follower of Jesus and this person's it's saying I'll give my life to Jesus and he's having this conversation with another I think it's with some angel or something in this little story and it's oh, I've given my life to Jesus oh great it's great do you have a car yes oh great so you've given your car to Jesus what do you mean well you gave your life to Jesus your, your car's in your life isn't it well I suppose it is, yes so you've given your car to Jesus great Jesus has your car uh, where do you live Give you the address. So, you've given your house to Jesus because you gave your life to Jesus, didn't you? So, that means you've given your life to Jesus. You've given your car and your house to Jesus because Jesus now has your house and your car and your bank details. My bank details. Well, yeah, you gave your life to Jesus, didn't you? You gave your. That's like all of your life. That's like your money as well, isn't it? You you mean he wants my money? Well, yes, but you've given it to him, haven't you? You've given him your life. So, he wants my money. My house, my car. What else? Well, all of your possessions and relationships. That's a bit much, isn't it? That's everything. So now Jesus has everything. I thought you had given your life to Jesus. And then he says, now what God would like you to do is to look after all this stuff. Live in the house, drive the car, use the money, enjoy the friendships, use the possessions, but just remember... If I ever need it, I'll let you know. If I ever need the use of my house that you're living in, or my car that you're driving, or my money that you're spending, I'll let you know. See, this is what it means to give our life to Jesus. This isn't a hobby. This isn't just an interest. This isn't a Sunday club. This is a way of life following Jesus, that we're all growing in and we're all learning in and we all mess up at and the shepherd comes and brings us back. He gently leads us, he carries us, he brings us to where we need to get to. I've met people who live in the townships of South Africa who have next to nothing of this material world. I've had meals in their homes and I'll tell you, (laughs) They have a wealth that we don't know. (laughs) They have something we don't know. They can also say, all I have needed, thy hand has provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord unto me. We get to know a God of provision and grace. A God who's our shepherd. He gives us His grace, he gives us his friendship, he gives us his Holy Spirit, he gives us his word, he gives us his people, he gives us our material needs, he gives us the privilege of joining in in his mission. And we get to trust him with the what and the how. What he gives to us and how he gives it. And then we get to use it for his glory. And time doesn't permit for me to go into the whole section in Matthew 25 where it talks about the sheep and the goats, where the sheep actually use what they've got To bless others and in the end the shepherd said, well you fed me, you cared for me, you gave me somewhere to live, enter into your rest. And they say, I don't remember when. And he says, well whenever you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. When our lives are rooted in the Lord my shepherd, the example of fruit is fantastic. So we've begun a soundtrack for a life and we've got the first line of the song done. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We hope you enjoyed this message. To find out more about King's Church Warrington, visit our website or find us on Facebook and Instagram.